For Your Information is brought to you by eating cereal out of a goddamn bowl with milk in it. Never trust anyone that eats cereal piece by piece or salad without dressing. Y'all are monsters. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Information with Zach and John. You know, I would have voted for Obama for a third term, just so you know. Welcome to Four Year Inflammation, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We're your hosts, Zach Graham. And John Kaplan. July is always a busy month for the movie industry, but something special is coming. A new Jordan Peele movie. Jordan Peele has been probably my favorite new director to come out. Him and Mike Flanagan. I really, really like what Mike Flanagan's been doing. But I thought, what better way to celebrate than to look back on his first film, Get Out. So without further ado, this week we present to you the 2017 social horror juggernaut, Get Out. So, John, we I have to start with the question we start with every week or well every week that we release an episode (laughs) sorry we've been inconsistent lately deal with it yeah uh (laughs) this i have to ask john how the hell did he manage to not see this movie and uh i'm gonna give you a break on this one because this is a newer movie and you know i can't really knock you for not seeing it because there's so many new movies so little time but you know, uh, why not get out? Like, this was huge. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it really depends on who I'm around, and I think that kind of dictates, like, the new movies that I see. You know, like... Fair the, enough. The past few years, uh, I th- I'd say really just right after the time that this movie came out uh, is when I started seeing more and more new movies. I just kind of went out and saw them as a thing to do, which is really what movies are for, I guess. So uh, it's just me learning how to be a normal person when it comes to entertainment. Um, <laughs> you know, saw like the new Star Wars movies. I think we went to go see the uh, the first of the new Star Wars movies when it first came out, didn't we? I, I, I know I saw it twice, so I think I did see it with you the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we did because we went to Movies 278 in Hiram. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, ooh. Oh, that t- that's take, an, takes back. That's an AMC now. Is it really? Yeah, and fuck AMC. I, uh, I, I see. I, they're literally my least favorite movie theater to go to. Uh, let me guess. Uh, they only have Coke products, and they don't have snow caps, and the seats are not comfortable. Um, none of the, it's, it's mainly the last one. So I don't know if it's just AMC up here, but like AMC theaters here in Pennsylvania, like all have like old ass, like stadium style seating. And like, I mean, I'm sure you guys could hear it over the microphone. Your boy big, your boy's just a big boy and trying to fit my voluptuous big tomato ass inside those little AMC theater seats made for like four foot eight like italian mobster guys like from the 40s just it just ain't happening so i'm always like sitting my ass on the edge of the seat and then like trying to like coax my back into the like the back of the seat it's just it's not pretty yeah they're kind of like the spirit airlines of movie theaters oh for sure for sure 
However, the one upside I found is that if anyone decides to cause trouble in that theater, I'll be the first motherfucker up. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, that's important. Just like on Spirit Airlines, because the thing about Spirit Airlines is that they have the bear fare, you know, so like you can just travel with literally nothing. But the problem with like giving people incentives to travel with nothing is that people that have nothing use those flights. So people got nothing to fucking lose. Exactly. Like bus people are now in airplanes. Yes, they they have effectively <laughs> made a, an airliner that is also a Greyhound bus uh, for people on their. Uh, th- this is the last hurrah. Everything else I have is uh, in my pockets because uh, TSA let me keep ninety percent of it. <laughs> These are people that have less than the uh, my entire life fits in this backpack. People. Yeah, yeah, because you got to pay extra for that backpack. You think you're gonna bring exactly. that in Spirit Alice? You think you're gonna bring that over here? Fuck you. And just so ever, just so we're perfectly clear on this, this is not like a disparaging like to people who can't afford things. This is not about you. This is about people who, regardless of how much money they have, just choose to be the worst. Uh, if you think for a second that I can afford things, uh, you got another thing coming. <laughs> we have a movie podcast. We do. We do. This is our main source of entertainment. Yes. Uh, because, uh, watching, uh, potatoes grow only works when you live in a place that isn't this hot. <laughs> the humidity down south. I don't, I don't, I don't envy you right yeah, now. We got because it, swamp taters. Swamp taters. Yeah, and you got mamma who's not gonna fucking make it any better. But anyway, no, no, this no, is no. not a politics podcast. However, this episode might get a little political. I think it has to, you know, just, like, again, with movies that came out in this time period, you know, like, uh, to, to circle back around, to get us back on track. Um, I didn't see this. Uh, I saw, you know, like, we talked about the Star Wars movies. I saw some of the, I think I saw the, like, the, some of the, like, Harry Potter Jason movies. I think I saw, like, the, the Crimes of Dumbledore or whatever the hell that is. I, I don't really know what he did. I, he knows what he did. Is it Dumbledore? Is it Grin... 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 Gr- Green... Greenwich? Grin... Grindelwald. Oh, I was going to say jo- John Green. The Crimes of John Green. <laughs> the Crimes of John Green. They yeah, are the plentiful. Fault in our crimes. The, fa- the Fault in Our Crime Stars Paper Map Towns. He's rich. Fuck him. Yeah, right? Alright. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I did not end up seeing this. I saw a couple other ones, though. Oh, okay. Well, now that you finally saw it, did you like it? Did you get the hype? Uh, it is a beautifully shot movie. Um, I think that maybe looking at it through the lens of a person who has been on like a three year long quest to understand cinema, I am now getting to a point where, um, I, not that I'm annoyed, but that it's a, they made it very accessible and it shows to me now. Like, uh, I, this I, was, I can uh, see what you're saying. Yeah, this could have been a very artistic, nuanced film, but some of it is just kind of like, in your face with the issues at hand and i understand why like again the 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 goal here was not to make like a uh, like an art house film it was to make a film with something to say and in order to do that you have to appeal to the people who um don't have a movie podcast where they have a quest to learn about film right and so are you saying that you feel like some aspects of the movie are heavy-handed i do and i i don't think it's tasteless it's far from tasteless i think that it just uh it, it shows its hand it does not play the cards close to the chest. Right. And I thought that upon like first viewing. Well, I mean, I always loved this movie. Like I just really, really enjoyed it. And I also enjoy us, which a lot of people didn't. But I you might like that one a little bit better. That one's more straight up horror than this mm. one is. This one I would more categorize as like a thriller. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I don't know. I just I really I never 
and we'll get into this later, but it's like I've never quite seen a movie like this. And I really I really don't think that anyone other than Jordan Peele could have given us a movie like this. And I think where you saw a lack of nuance, I saw it as trying to build tension two ways. Hmm, Interesting. Because and we'll get into this later, but Jordan Peele knew that he had to make this movie for two audiences. Hmm. And um, there's really no like sugary way to say this it's for like white audience and black audience i see what you mean and i think i also kind of have to take into account when i say things like that that like the movie was released in 2017 there's a lot that's happened since 2017 and uh maybe now uh in the entertainment sphere it's a a lot more common knowledge or it's like a lower bar to access such concepts for general audiences because people are presented with it every day Correct. Yeah, it's very and I much think, something gets talked about now, like more so even than it was five, six years ago. Right, and I don't. I feel like this movie really opened up some of that conversation, and I do think that this movie is going to end up being very culturally significant, like years to come. Hmm, okay, but of course, you know that's always to be seen. Like we could turn around, and this movie is completely cringe in five years. Interesting. Why would you say something like that? So. It's always, like, recency bias. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, I don't think you can quite call this movie a classic yet, just because it's it was released in 2017. Like, we're only five years removed from it. Sure, yeah. And then, then again, the instant movie? classics don't work. You know, we've, we've talked about that a few times, and I, I tend to agree. Yeah, because it's like, you never know what's going to be a cult movie. Like, I hate when people say instant cult classic, because it's like, that's not how this works. It has to be hated first. This movie was universally acclaimed. Right. So, like, we're looking at classic territory, and it's it's too soon to see. Because, like I said, because of how media has, like, changed in the last, like, even just five years since this has been released, this movie could potentially end up being completely cringe. I'll be interested to see exactly how that plays then. Like, think about, like, The Dark Knight. Okay. I, I, like, I see... Yeah, I, th- I think almost like I-, I hate to compare the two, but like you think about like a, like I guess DC, like the problem with DC is that it's kind of like super accessible superhero content. Like it does not require a lot of base knowledge to actually get into the, the lore of it. Whereas with like Spider-Man, like there's a bunch of different types of Spider-Man. And then, you know, like you get like all, some of the Marvel heroes, like the X-Men are like they're a lot more complicated. There's a lot more backstory. Superman is Superman. Right. Everybody knows what Superman's deal is. Uh, yeah, you can say he died in the big DC war or whatever and came back to life or, you know, but whatever. Kryptonite's Kryptonite, Superman, Superman. And then the the Dark Knight's kind of the same thing. The only problem with um, the Batman movies is over the years, they just keep turning the brightness down. Right. It, it See, this is going to be a problem going forward because with 4K content, you can shoot darker scenes because, like, the black levels can be changed. But I think what some of these filmmakers are not thinking about is that not everyone is going to watch this in, like, a 4K standard movie theater. Yeah, and they're, they're going to watch it on the busted screen of their iPhone 8. Exactly. And they're also, most people are not going to buy a 4K Blu-ray, which can, like, actually show you what the director intended. They're going to do it in streaming. And streaming, even the best streaming setup, is still not going to give you the proper black levels. So, like, I I, can't, I forget what we were watching, the, me and my fiancé, we were watching something the other day, and, like, the black levels were just, like, completely god-awful. I think it was Stranger Things. 
Really? Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's definitely something that you would want that for. But you can't even really get Blu-ray discs, 4K of Stranger Things. You, you have to stream it because it's a Netflix proprietary, right? Correct. And like sometimes Netflix puts out shows on Blu-ray. They have never put anything out on 4K. Mm, which and, is strange. And it's, yeah. And it's I mean, it's just like there's sometimes where it's like you can't even tell what's going on. Because they went for either, like, natural lighting or, like, you know, whatever. And it's like, that is awesome that you guys are able to do that. People aren't able to watch it the way you intended. And, like, that would bother me as a mm-hmm. filmmaker. Yeah, no, I but, see what you mean. It, ma- it makes you wonder if, like, people who make things like that for Netflix have to account for the fact that it's only really going to be available through streaming. So they have to make the final cut product stream friendly. I know Netflix has a lot of rules. And, they like, you can only use, like, a certain kind of camera. Because uh, and that was revealed through uh, Bo Burnham, Ah. because when he first started making Inside, he made it all by himself. He actually had like Netflix had to send him a camera to use because he used like the like lowest like tier camera that they would allow. Mm -hmm. And so like it's so anyway, Netflix keeps everything like very close to the chest. Like, they don't want people to know, but Bo Burnham actually revealed that because he had bought cameras that he thought he could use, and Netflix went, uh, no, you're gonna get a package tomorrow. Do not film anything until you get these. Interesting. Happy for him. Uh, I can't wait until we get our very own Netflix special. <laughs> what, like, what are we gonna do, though? Um, we're going to go, uh, Zach and John quest to the last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Cheech and Chong, but like way dumber. Oh hell yeah, dude! Like let's do a Abbott and Costello like musical type like Road Two movie. Yeah, but just like mix that with Harold and Kumar, and it's our trip to the last blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're sitting in the Taco Bell talking about nothing, and they're like, "Did you get Did you get shredded chicken on that on that Doritos Locos Taco?" And then you're like, "Yeah, man, Taco Bell beef's gross, man. I don't even really eat beef all that often." I'll be like, "Dude, what?" And then that's a whole scene. Oh, see, we we maybe like five years ago we could have done that, but now you know what I get on my Doritos Locos Taco. What do you get on your Doritos Locos Taco? Black beans. I'm not I even mad it. about that. Black beans are excellent. It's an underrated food. People sleep on that, dude. Black beans they have a surprising amount of protein in them. They they are very filling. We are so ungodly off base right now. Like, we are not even in the same, like, universe anymore from what we were talking about. Like, we're not even talking about Get Out. People will be like, why are they stalling so hard on Get Out? This is the one movie I wanted them to talk about. <laughs> we're gonna do it. We'll get to it. We'll fucking get to it. We're only, like, what, like, 14 minutes into this? Like, we'll get it. We'll get into it. Let's get into it now. So, like, <clears throat> horrible segue time. So... Part of what I was going to say earlier is, like, I think what's also very culturally significant about this movie is that it kind of redefined who Jordan Peele is in the eyes of, like, the mass viewing public. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, not many people go from sketch comedy to horror master overnight. Right. And I think the fact that, like, Jordan Peele was known as a comedian that went on to make the horror movie of the late 2010s is, like, fucking amazing publicity yeah i see what you mean um you know i'm trying to think of other sketch comedians that i just couldn't imagine making a movie like this uh, again like a bo burnham even though it's you know kind of like a almost a gimmick that jordan peele went from being like a sketch comedian to horror movie maker is amazing publicity like this movie does stand on its own merits though 
Like, the movie is good regardless of who made it, but, like, just that simple fact alone is amazing. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, And also, like, <laughs> we're kind of getting into summer, so I kind of like talking about movies that, like, you know, actually did something at the box office. Uh, This movie did some of the biggest box office numbers for a February release, like, ever. Really? Oh, yeah, we're getting into it. This one is a certified, like, fucking, like, banger. Like, like a, like a total knock him out of the park, home run, grand slam, uh, you know, just totally knocking him dead with the, with the box office returns. Oh, hell yeah. Just you wait, buddy. Just you wait. And just you wait, listener. We'll get into it. The last thing I want to say before we get into, like, the podcast proper is just, like, this movie hit such a nerve when it came out. Like, it packed such a big punch and it created, like, a world of memes and cultural references that, like, still circulate now. Like, do, do you remember the get out challenge? Um, I remember he, I remember the term. So, like, the get out challenge, like, it refers to the scene where Chris goes out for a cigarette and then, like, the, uh, the gardener grandpa. Yeah, gardener grandpa. All right, yeah, sure. <laughs> he's, he's just, like, running towards him for no reason and then, like, flanks right, like, just immediately. Uh-huh. Th- that was, like, a challenge that people would do on, like, Instagram. What, to, like, unsuspecting strangers? Yes. Oh, God. I, <laughs> this this reminds me of, like, the uh, like the, the clown phenomenon, like the scary clown thing that happened, like, ten years ago, where people just started yes. showing up in freaky clown costumes and, be, like, someone's gonna die. Someone's gonna get hit with a car and be like, oh, not today, and just plow them down. Someone's gonna <laughs> die. <laughs> I'm sure someone died as a result of this, but, like, have you ever been, like, full sprint mode and then, like, try and make, a like, a sharp right turn? It's impossible. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. No, that that is a, uh, a top-tier athlete move. For sure. Another thing is, like, I think the sunken place is going to be the thing that people remember about this movie. Yeah. Because I-, I can't remember, and I don't think I've seen it since, something that was so instantly iconic and understandable. Like, I like the first time I saw that, I got chills interesting well what exactly is it about it that made you feel that way because and this is the part that's hard to talk about and i need you as the listener to just stay with me on this because like i think i understood like some like a visual something like more than words could ever say because i've always kind of felt like an outsider or like someone that like people look down upon like immediately upon like just looking at me so like having like that sunken place that like people just immediately put you in like you're no longer just you you're what you look like i completely got what they meant by that or like what jordan peele meant by that just from that visual and it was just like ooh, i get it and i immediately got what the movie was about it's about alien it's like about alienation and like exploitation like i completely got what it meant Oh, okay. And I no, don't that's yeah, that that's really big. Yeah, and it's like so it's just like just I've never seen a visual that just like looks like that. I get it. Like that like the sunken place like is the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I I do get what you mean. <laughs> and then I I guess I would mean like uh the the scene where Georgina is like crying but saying everything is fine like fucks me up every single time. Oh yeah, is, is that <laughs> like, the acting or is that the context or the writing or like what about that does it for you? All of the above, just like it, <laughs> because like you just like you just see like in the actress's face because she's acting on the outside as 
as the grandma that's taken over this woman's body, but on the inside, feeling like someone who's trapped in not their own body. Right. And you can see that struggle in her face, and it's just like an unflinching close-up, and it's uncomfortable, and it should be. Mm. So it's just like, I mean, like, props to the actress, because that shit was fucking terrifying. Yeah, no, it's definitely a weird concept, and I guess to ask actors to do something like that, and to just have them get it, like, that, that that's probably a tall order. Oh, yeah, like, without the actors in this movie, this movie would be nothing. Like, all of the actors are on point like they all showed up to fucking work it's one of those things where it's like you know they, they didn't bring like a lot of known talent to the table like there weren't a lot of really familiar faces like i think um uh the the mom like i've seen her in a, a place or two before uh but but outside of that i mean they're mostly fresh faces and they still did a really really fantastic job oh yeah and like a lot of these people are like character actors we'll get into that later but, like, so, I, th- there's one in particular that I know that you know exactly who he is, and you just don't know it. Mm-mm. But we'll get into that later. Uh, the first thing I think we're going to need is, speaking of tall orders, is I think we're going to need a nice tall cocktail to get through this one. So, what kind of, like, what kind of, like, sunken place cocktail have you made me? Well, that's the thing, right? Is that once or twice it's happened on the podcast where you just kind of came to me and were like, it's just a bottle of bourbon. And you know what? It's just a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> like, how, how do you... How how am I supposed to sit here and come up with something and be like, okay, so, like, normally I draw inspiration from, like, the play, like the meaning of it or something in the movie or, like, um... So what am I going to get, like, the, the teacup? Like, that's sinister as hell. Uh, what am I going to do? Make some kind of, like, um, like uh, I, I, I don't know, like, uh, ye old antebellum, like, South culture thing? Absolutely not. Uh, like, no, I'm not doing that. That's wrong. Um, so it's just a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> it's just, it, is it a particular bourbon? Nope. <laughs> you know, your, your best bet, Wild Turkey 101. That's your best bet. Fair slug, enough. Slug Fair as enough. much uh, Wild Turkey 101 as you can responsibly consume. <laughs> is it the sad bourbon or the happy bourbon? It, it, oh, it really just depends on the lighting. <laughs> oh, God. I, I need... I wish BoJack Horseman had one more season. I, I really do. I can't b- bring myself to watch the last of it because I know it'll actually truly be over. Uh, not only will it actually truly be over, it is fucked up. Uh, man now i want to watch it again but i can't it will it will emotionally scar you a little bit it's um it's a lot like i know uh Lindsay, my fiance refuses to watch the last half of the last season because i told her how emotionally rough it is and she's like you know what i'm good i'm just gonna pretend like it doesn't exist uh, no but it's so important i gotta uh, you put me in a bind reminding me of this it's summertime again the beginning of like the college school year is what the time i associate with bojack horseman because i think it was like sophomore year of college the first time around <laughs> was when i first watched it and i was like oh man there's like a whole vibe that comes along with that and i think yeah exactly like th- there are movies i just associate with summer like th- uh, like I can't think of any right now, but I know that, like, while we're talking about Get Out, I 100%, like, associate this with February, just because that's when it came out, and I just viscerally remember going to see this movie, and we'll talk about it here in a little bit. I know I keep doing that, but I promise we're gonna get to it. I just don't want to, like, run us out of shit. 
Speaking of running out of shit, uh, we notoriously are a low to no budget podcast, so we had to hire just a person to come in and give a synopsis of the movie for you guys, just in case you haven't seen it, which I think we just pretty much spoiled the whole movie within like 20 minutes of this podcast starting, so probably should have put a spoiler warning, but you know what, the movie is also five years old, so you probably should have seen it anyway. But getting back on track, we bring in our favorite 114-year-old Central Park homeless resident, Frank Synopsis, to give us a synopsis of the film. So, Frankie Baby, welcome to the podcast. Hi, so good to be back here live in the studio. Live, quote-unquote, in the quote-unquote studio. Frank, did you get a chance to watch Get Out? Oh, of course I did. I always find a way. So, how how did you watch it this time, Frank? Well, uh, you know, I tried going by the TV store, uh, you know, and just kind of watched through the window. Uh, it didn't come on. That's, uh, you know... They usually have my favorite channel on. Whatever's playing, it's my favorite channel. Um, okay. I tried going to Times Square, you know, because sometimes you can catch enough bits and pieces on the screens to put something together, I think. Um, this time, I, uh, I did that old summertime classic where I, uh, I, uh, I, I put on a costume, like a, like, a, like a wig and like a hat, and then I go up to the movie theater and I say, Oh, hello, sir, can I get like, like a senior discount? And then they, uh, they just kind of tell me to leave and I sneak in. I'm... A little surprised that you don't think that you could, as a 140-year-old person, get the senior discount. Does it, like, does that expire? Like, does it only work when you're, like, 80 to 120? The jury's still out on that one. It really just depends on the theater you go to. It's not a universal policy. They don't have a law for that. It should be a law, Frank. It should be a law. Well, however you manage to see Get Out, why don't you tell me about it? All right. Chris Washington is a young photographer from Brooklyn. He's on his way to meet his white girlfriend, Rose's parents, for the first time. When they arrive, Rose's parents try to make Chris comfortable. They voted for Obama twice, they reject their racist parents, and they have black housekeepers. Chris can't seem to shake the feeling that something's up. And it is. Jesus Christ, it is. Thank you very much, Frank. Yeah, that, that, it is definitely the movie, and thank you for being for being you, Frank. I just I, I love you, buddy. Thanks for coming in. Oh, so glad to be here. I'm going to go back to the sunken place. Oh, yeah, I forgot you do live there. Is the rent good there? Oh, no, and usually when I'm in the sunken place, I'm just talking about falling down a manhole. Ah, well, that is a sunken place. G- ha- have fun, Frank. Don't, right, don't hurt yourself. All right, John, are you ready to get in to get out, finally? Yeah, yeah, so um, I guess Frank was, like, extra wet today. Uh, he left a bunch of, like, wet prints all over the, the lobby. Um, yes, yeah, so I think Frank is trying to understand the movie better, and he thought the sunken place was, like, at the bottom of a manhole. Interesting. Did he do the whole, like, reaching out thing, falling down in slow motion, or do you think he just, like, hit the sides, ping-ponging back and forth until he hit the bottom? You know, I'd have to imagine at 147 years old that, uh, most things are in slow motion. Yeah, have you ever dropped, like, a paper mache project, you know, like, on the pavement? Um, like, on purpose? Well, no, I guess not. That's kind of how I imagine uh, Frank Synopsis falling down. Ah, uh, yes. Like a soft crunch. But you'd think at 140 years old, like, he has to be pretty resilient. Uh, I think he has ropey old man strength. He has for, like, 70 years. Yeah, because at a certain point, if you're going to laugh in the face of God like that, you have to you have to have a certain set of strength about you. I see. <laughs> Anyway, we've delayed long enough. Let's get into Get Out. 
So we're going to start with just like the like run of the mill information that you can find on Wikipedia. But I do think it's important so we know who the players are going forward as we unravel this little story. So as we talked about, uh, this movie is directed and written by Jordan Peele. Um, other than this movie and his other movie, Us, he was on Mad TV, uh, the Key and Peele show, Big Mouth as the ghost of... Um, <laughs> sorry. The, the um, ghost of Duke Ellington? He's the ghost of Duke Ellington. I just start re- started rewatching this show. It's fucking oh great. Oh my god, I need to finish it. I can't believe I'm saying that I've actually watched the show like in a place where people hypothetically could hear that I've watched that show. It, you know what? It's not that bad. It, it could be worse. Jordan Peele also wrote and starred in uh, Keanu, which if you haven't seen that, that's great. Is and, this uh, like recent- being John Malkovich, but for Keanu Reeves? No, um, so it is a movie that stars him and Keegan-Michael Key of Key and Peele fame. Uh-huh. Um, and Jordan Peele adopts a cat and names it Keanu, and then uh-huh. the cat ends up getting, like, kidnapped by, like, the cartel. Fascinating. It, it's, it's literally, it's, it's a, it's kind of a batshit crazy movie. You're describing and, like, the plot of the Bill Murray Garfield movie. No, that's A Tale of Two Kitties. No, 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 I'm talking about the one where Odie gets abducted and they try to take him to the city with the shot collar to make him jump up and down like a, like, like a, like, like a circus monkey. <laughs> Is that the first one? That's the first one where the guy, yeah, because, like, you know, Garfield goes and tries to get, I, we're not talking about Garfield anymore. Like, it gets brought up way too much. We're always talking about Garfield on this podcast. Let's get, let's continue. So this movie is produced by Sean McKittrick, uh, who also produced Donnie Darko. Ooh. Uh, Jason Blum, a.k.a. Daddy Blumhouse. I don't like that. I understand the significance of Blumhouse, but I still don't like that. (laughs) Daddy Blumhouse. We'll be, uh, more towards Halloween, we'll be getting into some, like, Blumhouse shit. So, uh, Daddy Blumhouse will make a return. Mm. Another producer was Edward H. Ham Jr., who produced Southland Tales, which is, uh, the same director as Donnie Darko. So there's a lot of, uh... There's a lot of crossover here, which is interesting. And yes, then, of uh, course, Jordan Peele produced this as well. Right. The movie stars Daniel Kaluuya as Chris Washington. Uh, he got his start on Black Mirror. He was in Black Panther, Judas and the Black Messiah, Queen and Slim. Like, this, guy, this guy's been everywhere. Like, you know who this guy is. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think I finally saw Black Panther. I, I must have seen Black Panther in the past year or so. It took me forever to see that movie. Yeah, he he's uh, he's pretty good in it. Um, Lakeith Stanfield, who's also in this movie, is also in that one. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love it. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, Allison Williams as Rose Armitage. Uh, she is her other famous role is uh, being Marnie on Girls, which I've never seen. Right. Lil Rel Howry as Rod Williams. Uh, he was he's been on like the Carmichael show and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he's really, really funny. Uh, of course, as I just mentioned, uh, Lakeith Stanfield as Andre Hayworth. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is in uh, Atlanta, Black Panther, Uncut Gems, Sorry to Bother You. This guy is fucking fantastic. Mm. Um, if you have not seen any of those, I suggest every single one of them. Yeah, I've seen a few episodes of Atlanta. Uh, really good. They they, uh, they they capture the vibe of the city. It is so weird watching that show and then, like, realizing, oh, shit, that's where I used to live. Yeah. They are actually filming where I used to live. I don't like that. (laughs) Decatur. Um, Decatur. We hop in on that martyr from Lithonia to Decatur. And this this is the one I was mentioning that you'll know, John. 
So uh, Stephen Root as Jim Hudson. So that was the guy that uh, wanted Chris's body, the blind ah, photographer. Right. So he is the voice of Bill Dotrieve on King of the Hill. That is kind of hilarious. He almost resembles Bill a little bit. That's what I'm saying. Have you seen that meme that's been going around lately of like people trying to cast the live action King of the Hill and no one puts Stephen Root as Bill Dotrieve? I'm like, he is literally that character. Just give him the part. <laughs> I mean, are they going to let me be Boomhauer? No, Matthew McConaughey is Boomhauer. I'm that's sorry. That's actually a I much do, better pick. Yeah. I, I, do agree with the, I do agree with the meme on that casting. I don't think anyone else could do it. Mm, let's see uh, are we doing like um uh, like a like a uh owen wilson as dale gribble maybe no uh the voice actor who does dale gribble also inexplicably looks like dale gribble so i think they should just they can keep dale and bill and then cast whoever they want for hank i don't really care uh tom hanks see i, f I feel like tom hanks just does everything though i saw some people say brendan fraser that would be interesting i don't feel like he has the uh, there's a certain like there's a certain, like, Texas swagger that he needs. <laughs> the Texas swagger. The swagger of a Texan. Yes. Anyway, that is not this movie. No, actually, completely. Well, literally, maybe the opposite of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> completely and totally. Um, so the music is by uh, Michael Abels, who this is his first film score. Mm. Uh, the production companies are Blumhouse, uh, QC Entertainment, and Monkey Paw Productions, which is Jordan Peele's production company. And was distributed by Universal Pictures. Uh, it had its premiere at Sundance on January 23rd, 2017. And had its worldwide release on February 24th, 2017. On a budget of $4.5 million. And a box office return of $255.4 million. Gotta love that horror movie energy where you can just kind of turn nothing into a big old pile of cash. Or turn nothing into Poltergeist. Which is less than nothing. <laughs> Horror is such an interesting genre. But yeah, no, this had the paranormal activity effect. Uh, Although I right. think I think paranormal activity, I think what they shot that on like $500,000 and made like $500 million. Yeah, it's kind of like the same thing as like Blair Witch Project where you just have people like, you know, breathing heavy into like a like a handheld camcorder. And it just makes millions and millions of dollars. It's insane. Yeah, just on hype. Because, you know, you get a bunch of dumb people to show up on, like, the first few viewings. And then they tell everybody else, oh, my God, you got to see it. And then you go watch it. You're like, well, like, that was that was a film. Yeah, I, that I would was... call that scary. Yeah, I mean, there's a box moving around. Nobody knows what that is. Uh, you know, it's got, like, uh, the low light, you know, film, whatever. That's all right. It's, it's all right. It's, it's okay. Fine. It's fine. They yeah. get it. <laughs> all right. Let's get into the story. And I think the best way to start this is to talk about where Jordan Peele came from. So Jordan Peele started out doing like sketch comedy in Chicago and got his big break on Mad TV. Uh, Mad TV was a sketch comedy, like was like a late night sketch comedy show on Fox meant to directly compete with uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh -huh. uh, it is inspired by Mad Magazine and included uh, Spy vs. Spy shorts, and it ran from 1995 to 2009. Have we gotten to the part where we have to explain to people what Mad TV is? I've never seen an episode of Mad TV, and I know what Mad TV is. Um, yeah, I think so, because if you didn't live in that era, or like the era directly preceding it, like you probably wouldn't get some of the, like the cultural references 
that like Mad TV is giving. So I don't know. Like I feel like Mad TV is one of those that's lost. Is along with like In Living Color and The Wayans Show, mm. which were all like you know sketch comedy shows meant to compete with with Saturday Night Live. Right. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So on Mad TV, uh, Jordan Peele was constantly paired with Keegan Michael Key. Uh, who, which weirdly enough, they were actually auditioned against each other, but were both cast due to their chemistry together. Like these guys have like crazy, insane energy together when uh, they're on screen. Yeah. And uh, uh, would would you compare them to us? Do you think they have a similar energy that we have? Um, I think that they have millions and millions of dollars, and we have a movie podcast so if our fans had (laughs) millions of dollars to give us they would give us all of those millions of dollars we would have exactly we would have exactly one million (laughs) dollars i would have exactly one dollar i would have exactly two million dollars it's kind of weird that we have two fans (laughs) but anyway (laughs) so outside of that tv they also had roles together uh, most notably in the Weird Al music video for White and Nerdy. Mm. So they're like the two like gangster guys that are supposed to be like offended by Weird Al's nerdiness. You know, I being in a Weird Al music video, it never really hit me until right now how much of a get that is for a sketch comedian. Oh, yeah, because like you go back and you're like, wait, holy shit, that's Key and Peele. Yeah. Or holy exactly. shit. <laughs> like, I can't. There's another one that's like that where it's like, wait, what? Yeah. It's all. No, always- Anyone in comedy, when you get to work with Weird Al or, like, you know, perform, like, open for Weird Al or whatever, it, that, that that's, like, the get. That's, like, the thing. That's, like, the, that's the, that's the, the holy grail of, like, exactly. comedy. Because everybody knows who Weird Al is. Yes. Like, even normies know who Weird Al is. Yes, and he's safe. He's not problematic. Please, God, Weird Al, don't have some weird shit come out about what you did 30 years ago. Please, God, Weird Al, don't do that to us. I don't think we can handle it as a we, society. I think society would collapse. He's one of the last good ones. <laughs> he, he's one of the last good old boys. Not like that, no. <laughs> no, not like that. We don't We don't support the good old boy movement here. Get out of no, here with no, no, that no. shit. We, we, we need to reclaim the term good old boy to good boys like Weird Al with his amazing haircut, iconic, and his accordion. Exactly. That is so far not Jordan Peele. They, they performed Tan- with him. They performed his video. I, I was going to say tangentially related, but we need to get back on topic. Um, so Peel left Mad TV after its 23rd season uh, because he auditioned for SNL uh, when they were looking for someone to play Barack Obama. Uh, he was not cast. And Fred Armisen, who is not black, took the role. And uh, then once Fred Armisen left the show, it was taken over by Jay Farrow, who is like a crazy good impressionist. Mm. Uh, but it was okay because the partnership with Key and Peele was uh, at any point. But that's okay because Key and Peele were offered a show on Comedy Central called Key and Peele. Um, and uh, it ran for about like, I think, four years, I think. And it had classic sketches like, you know, that's where we get like the A.A. Ron thing from. I said, bitch. Good stuff. And, Good stuff. Like, this is good shit here. Uh, the show was somewhat controversial at first because most people saw it as, like, a lesser version of Chappelle's show. Mm. And, uh, listen, we're talking about Dave Chappelle before his new special, and you can think whatever you want about whatever you want with that. I'm just saying the Chappelle show was, like, a big cultural phenomenon thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think it's gonna be hit with, like, a Cosby effect? N- no. 
per, uh, here's how I, I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and personally say what I think's gonna happen here. Like, Dave Chappelle is not by any means canceled. I think it's just going to take people a while to forget just how weird he was in that last special. Like, he already has another special coming out soon. Mm. Like, but you don't think that this is going to lead to a whole series of events that, like, you know, it's like, now now there's, like, a, there, there's, a, uh, there's a gap in the armor, so now it's going to get fully exploited? Um, I think... I think that there are some people that are going to be permanently turned off of him, but I don't think he's going to go away. Mm, I see. It, it just, wasn't. It wasn't a full send cancel. I'm just counting down all the pressions that I owe the viewers now. You know, I've got uh, Barack Obama. I've got to do that one. If I do a Barack Obama, I've got to do a George Bush impression. Now I have to do a Bill <laughs> Cosby impression. Um, I'll keep a tally for you guys. Okay. Just use them as they come up. Okay. Um, so, um, the criticism did not stick on Key and Peele, however, and the show became massively successful and ended in 2015. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele do still work together, not as much, but like I said, they, uh, they did the, they did Keanu in 2016, which was right before this movie, and they also appear in Toy Story 4 together. Interesting. I, no surprises, haven't seen that movie. You know... Toy Story 4 is a good movie. It is entirely skippable. Mm. It is a good movie. It stands on its own merits. It um somehow does not feel cheapened because the end of Toy Story 3 was so, like, final. Right. Toy Story 4 somehow does not feel like a cash grab. It actually feels like a story that they wanted to tell. And it actually, like, enhances the ending of the series. So it is very good, but if you are satisfied with the ending of Toy Story 3, you can absolutely skip Toy Story 4. Interesting. Is that the one with Sporky? Yeah, Forky, yes. Yeah, Sporky, Forky, whatever. I'm sure that's like super offensive. I don't really know. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't know how it works with inanimate objects. Um, but anyway, we, we desperately need to move on. Um, so let's get into Get Out then. We're going to go all the way back to 2013. Oh, no. uh, Oh, no. So Keegan-Michael Key was working on a film called Hell Baby, which was being produced by Sean McKittrick. Uh, While on set, Key told McKittrick, you have to meet Jordan Peele. He's a horror fanatic, and he's got all these crazy ideas. So Peele and McKittrick met for coffee in New Orleans. Ah, very nice. Eventually. I'm presuming this is years later, because Peele would have been shooting Keanu in New Orleans around 2015. So I think, because I was trying to figure, because, like, all the information I was finding was not saying, like, why they met in New Orleans, so I tried to figure it out. So I think that this has to be why, Mm. because this is the only other time I've, like, seen, or, like, there's, like, a notable record of Jordan Peele being in New Orleans. And also, Keegan-Michael Key was already there, so he could introduce them. So I I I think this is how they had to have met. Anyway, (laughs) Sorry. If you didn't think that I don't try and research for this podcast, you're fucking wrong. You absolutely are. <laughs> so during the conversation, Peel told McKentrick, all right, well, here's one movie you'll never want to make, and proceeded to give him the pitch for what would become Get Out. Uh, McKentrick later said that he was intrigued because he'd never seen that movie before, and it fascinated him. Uh, he bought the pitch from Peel on the spot and paid him to write it. 
And wow. Peel had the first script, he had the first draft written within two months, which is insane. That is kind of, especially for a movie like that, like, I'd be interested to know exactly what his, like, imagining of that first draft was, and, like, how long he wanted it to be, and, like, exactly what all went into it, and, like, what changed. Because they made the movie on so little, you know? Right. I mean, and, it, like, the movie really just needed, like, I feel like most of their money probably went to, like, location. Oh, and yeah, then, like, sure. the final scene. Because other than that, I mean, like, it's a pretty, like, bare bones, like, kind of movie. There's not a ton of special effects happening. It's just really that final scene. Yeah, yeah. And it's a horror movie. So, again, you know, special effects, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta get them. But, like, they're, they're not... It, it ain't it ain't no um oh what am, how am I drawing but Mission Impossible it ain't no Mission Impossible yeah exactly it's um and it looks like most of the effects are practical I couldn't really find much on that but it looked like a lot of like the gore at least was practical mm-hmm. which is good like that's what you want in a horror movie and it's usually not cheap but if you get the right guy it can't be yeah no you just gotta make, again make a lot out of a little exactly exactly like that last scene is so impactful but it's really only like 10 minutes of the movie so there you go that's how you do it yep say the best for last (laughs) i guess or whatever i don't know i'm not a director (laughs) exactly exactly so uh jordan peele said that he felt prepared to write the film because comedy and horror are very similar they're all about reveals Right. He took a lot of inspiration from the film Stepford Wise because it's a horror movie, but it has a satirical premise. He also said that the story of Get Out is very personal to him, but quickly veers off into any to everything but autobiography. So that's why I think that Get Out. That's why I said what I said at the beginning of this podcast is Get Out is a satirical thriller at heart, maybe like in a horror movie's body. Ah, interesting. There, what they did with the in the body. In the body. In the body. I like I like that you know what I did there. Oh, I do know what <laughs> you did there. I, I didn't like how you said that. Uh, redacted. Redacted? That's redacted? <laughs> That's redacted. All right, so let's talk a little bit about casting. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya was asked to audition after Peel saw him in Black Mirror. Uh, the episode is uh, it's called 15 Million Merits. And if you've never seen Black Mirror like John hasn't. I've seen a few uh, episodes. You've seen a few episodes. Have you seen this particular episode? Uh, if I have seen it, I don't remember enough about it to, uh, you know, recall it. Okay, so basically, uh, I'll, just, I'll just do a little rundown. So, like, Black Mirror is a anthology horror series that's kind of similar to what Jordan Peele's trying to do. They're, like, kind of, it's social commentary, mostly. But uh, this particular episode is, um, it's set, like, in the future, in the near future, quote-unquote. And, like, humans all live in, like, these underground colonies, and you have to, um, you have to, like, basically work out and, like, be a good human being to earn merits. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if you're, like, overweight, you become a janitor, you don't get to work out anymore, and, like, all this kind of, like, weird stuff. Like, it's a very good episode, and I don't want to, like, ruin all of it, because you could easily go watch it right now. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of the weird, like, social credit episode. Yes. It's very much like that. Um... But anyway, so back to Get Out. Sorry that I keep doing this this episode. It's very fun talking about all this stuff because it's so recent. Um, So Daniel Kaluuya was cast after his first audition. Uh, Jordan Peele said after he got finished reading the script and like, you know, playing with him a little bit. Mm -hmm. He said, all right, shut it down to the casting director and looked at Kaluuya and said, I'm giving you the role. Wow. Okay. I mean, (laughs) with the casting director in the room. With the casting director in the room, he said, that's my guy. 
Wow. Okay, that's laying it down, huh? I mean, I guess it's kind of his brainchild. Is this an auteur film? Oh, absolutely. See, I got it. I got one. <laughs> I got one. I Unironically did claiming an auteur film. So Kaluuya said that he was very ecstatic to get it because he became interested in the role after reading the script and particularly reading the party scene because he said, I've been to that party. Whoa. Not like literally, but like, you know, that feeling that he has in the movie, which, by the way, that was another scene I forgot to talk about, like when Chris like goes up the stairs and like everybody's talking, but then they get silent as soon as he leaves the room. Yeah. And just start staring up. That shit was terrifying. That is freaky. God, I I love that scene, too. I just love this movie. If you couldn't tell. So um, (laughs) good movie. Certified good. So, uh, Laurel Howery uh, had a similar experience to Kaluuya. Uh, he went through the last round of auditions, however, and walked outside after the audition to call an Uber. Uh, Peel walked out after him, stood next to him, looked at him straight in the face. He said, so I'm giving you the part, and then went back in the building. <laughs> and Laurel then said that he just started walking after that. He was just so happy. He was calling people, telling him he got this role. And he just ended up walking this skid row in L.A. and just thought, how the fuck did I get here? That's how most people on Skid Row think when they get to Skid Row. Exactly. Except most of them don't leave. It, oof. Chelsea Hotel. You, you come in, but you don't leave. Exactly. You end up in the water tank. Is it too uh, soon? Uh, I mean, no, but they absolutely try and sweep that under the rug, and they try and act like it didn't happen, and it absolutely did. You know, it's a red flag when you go into a hotel and you see a mountain of garbage just piled underneath the rugs. And be like, so, um, what's been going around here with all the rugs and stuff, huh? Um, I don't know why you would want to stay at a hotel that has had a Netflix documentary made about it, and also a hotel where Nancy Spungen died. I don't know. It's like we still watch the Tommy Wiseau movie, you know. I feel like we're talking about two different things here, but let's move on. <laughs> different type of tragedy. Different types of tragedy. Yeah, we still talk about Morbius or whatever. Is that a keyword <laughs> that's going to get us noticed in the algorithm? Morbius. It's morbid um, time. It it is Morbin time. It's actually Peelin time right now because oh, we need to talk about this movie. <laughs> so um, Lowbrow had this to say about the get about his get out experience. Uh, he said it goes back to the way I grew up. I'm just being honest. Segregation created this stories about people like Emmett Till. It's history. Crazy things have happened, and people are going to embellish and pass that on to their kids as as a warning was so smart to hit on all of these stories that could be considered myths but a lot of it is rooted in truth so that that's how he felt about the movie and i Mm. think that kind of sums it up um allison williams was chosen because uh peel thought because of her role on girls and in peter pan live as peter pan that audience would (laughs) <laughs> that audience would audiences would trust her from the start, thereby making their reveal so much more brutal. Yeah, nothing is trustworthy like like a man flying into the window and taking a bunch of kids away. Exactly. Is he taking them to heaven? Is that what Peter Pan is? Like, if you I, think I that Neverland is heaven, then I have big news for you. Um, <laughs> the God is gay, and he has a butt boy named Smee. Oh no, not Captain Hook being God. Uh, Anyway, uh, so Allison Williams said that she was looking for a role that would weaponize everything that people take for granted about her. And so she instantly signed on to the film. Uh, She also said that uh, white audiences seemed to misinterpret her character in the film, believing that Rose was also a victim of the cult. And she insists that her character is completely evil. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. No, she was definitely evil. 
So you got to watch this for the first time. Like when that reveal came up, did you see it coming or were you kind of like going back and forth the whole time? Like, is she in on it? Is she not? As soon as I knew that there was something going on like that and there was some kind of conspiracy, she had she's the honeypot. That's literally the term what she's doing. That is the term honeypot. Exactly. That's what she's that's all she's there for. Yes. Um, She draws people in and then they get them. She's, she's the bait in the trap. So, yeah, there's no other way that works out. She she had to have known about it from the, the get-go. From the minute the pictures came out of the thing, it's like, no, she, she's been able this whole time. There's no way. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think another interesting scene to look back on when you have that information, like, solidified is um when they hit the deer yeah. at the beginning of the movie, and then the cop is asking for Chris's ID, and she tries mm-hmm. to be like, no, you don't need his ID, blah, 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 blah. She's doing that so he can't be identified. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. And, like, there's so many little things that she does that, like, make sense later. Like, uh, they try and get him to stop smoking so that his body will be more pristine for selling. Huh, interesting. Yeah, because, like, I guess if you're going to buy a body, you would prefer that that body's not addicted to nicotine. Because I would assume that even if you're, like, going into someone else's body... You would probably still have their cravings and like, you know, like, for example, if they're addicted to something, that body is still going to be addicted to that thing. Yeah. In the case of nicotine, I guess it's a pretty even split between like habits and what you crave and then like what your body craves. So like, yeah, no, I I get it. That makes sense. That that checks out. Yeah. So like that's so like just little things like that start to make sense when you have that information that you might not necessarily see on first view. Mm hmm. But the one thing I do definitely want to talk about is that thing where she's drinking the milk and eating the cereal piece by piece. Oh, yeah. Like, so that scene was actually added in as they were filming. It was not in the script. Uh-huh. And it was kind of her idea. That makes it... I, I don't know how I feel about that because, like, you know... I'm glad it worked out for them. I'm glad they just had the idea. Of, hey, you know what's really sinister? Eat this backwards. Oh, it's just like, uh, I mean, first of all, people who eat cereal plain without milk just bother me. But to eat the cereal piece by piece, not even a handful or a spoonful, and then take a sip of milk is like, that is an evil, twisted person. Like, I don't trust them immediately. Uh, do you no longer trust me when you, uh, now that I'm going to tell you something about myself where I eat tortilla chips sometimes and then I drink the salsa afterwards? Why? Because it just works out better that way when you have a bunch of chip crumbs. I can't dip it in the salsa. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, so if it's crumbs that you have left over, I understand, like, pouring the salsa and then, like, maybe putting the chips into the salsa and mixing them around and then eating them that way. No, I literally fill my mouth with chips and then drop salsa on top of it. Ugh. That's like people who, like, put fries in their mouth and then squirt ketchup into I their mouth. I do that, too. Oh my god. I do it with Taco Bell. I put the taco sauce in my mouth after I've eaten the food sometimes. Oh, yeah, you do do that. I've seen you do it. I ignored it. Oh, yeah? You ignored that? <laughs> it's efficient. Sometimes it doesn't work to get the sauce on the food just right. I, I don't do that thing where I open up the burrito and put the sauce on the inside. I put it on bit by bit, but sometimes it just doesn't make sense. If you're driving, good luck, man. Good luck trying to eat a crunchy taco, driving down the road, put the sauce on. You gotta eat the sauce out of the pack. See, if I'm eating Taco Bell in the car... I just, this episode should be sponsored by Taco Bell, first off. Uh, Not sponsored, should be. (laughs) Should be. Second, 
I purposely get things that don't need sauce. Like cheesy bean and rice burrito already had sauce on it. You're letting them dictate the pace of your Taco Bell consumption and it makes you weak. Look, listen, if I'm driving, I don't want to be distracted. And I also don't want to do the weird condiment in the mouth thing. I can't do that. Mm. It's just a, it's a personal preference, but it's one that I stand by. All right. Well, you know what? Well, we'll have to agree to disagree. Efficiency okay. versus principles. <laughs> principles always win in the end. It, was that Ronald Reagan that said that? I don't know. God, Fuck I him. He's not. dead. God, I hope not. He, that man had no principles. But anyway, let's talk about the filming of this movie. So filming began on April 16th, 2016 in Fairhope, Alabama. Oh, you um, expect to make me some kind of comment about Alabama right now? I maybe I don't know you live there now true I think Fairhope's <laughs> actually pretty close to where I'm at let me do some quick research I got it okay Fairhope Alabama Fairhope Alabama yep there it is uh let's see I'm looking at the maps uh okay so oh you know what no Fairhope is um oh I think Fairhope might be like the hippie capital of the south oh yeah yeah that's not near me at all but I want to go there real bad it's almost it's almost like um Austin, Texas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep uh keep Fairhope weird. And by keep Fairhope weird, I mean um I don't know why your economy revolves around art galleries, but you do you, boo. <laughs> if you can pay for your lunch with a song, good on you. Mhm. <laughs> uh filming was also done in Mobile, Alabama, and principal photography lasted for about 23 days, so a pretty short shoot. Keep the budget tight. Yeah. Uh, Peel stressed that although the movie was shot in Alabama, it's not supposed to take place there. Uh, he deliberately did not put the movie in a red state, saying this. It was really important for me to not have the villains in the film reflect the typical red state type, who is usually categorized as being racist. I felt that I felt that was too easy. I wanted the film to explore the false sense of security one can have in the sort of like New York liberal type places. Yeah, uh, I the, think that being evil, they take advantage of that like a lot. Like, um, you know, the, really the whole family there. They know exactly what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that I think that that's what evil people do more. They're a, they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, they're being predatory. Exactly, exactly. So the film presumably takes place in upstate New York. Yes. Yes. So um, when describing the conception of the sunken place, Peel had this to say. I always had this concept of the place that you're falling towards when you're going to sleep and you get and you get that falling sensation and you catch yourself. And if you didn't catch yourself, where would you end up? I had this hellish image and I thought thought of this idea. What if you were in a place and you could look through your own eyes as if they were literal windows or a screen and see what your body was seeing, but feel like a prisoner in your own mind, the chamber of your mind? The moment I thought of that, I immediately it immediately occurred to me the theme of abduction and connection to the pris prison industrial complex that this movie was sort of presenting a metaphor for. It was a very emotional discovery. I remember having so much fun writing it. That moment when I figured out this weird, esoteric, but also emotionally brutal form of suffering to put the character through, I literally cried writing the scene. Mm, fascinating. Uh, it's almost like he's describing sleep paralysis demon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's almost sleep paralysis demon, but like 
isn't that like you can't move, but you're seeing other things go on around you? Yeah, like you, like you can see through your eyes, but like you're not in control of your body. Oh, I feel bad for anyone that happens to like yeah. I, I've never like I've been like really bored and like drifting in and out of sleep before, but it's never been like I couldn't get up. I'm just choosing not to. Right, right, right. What you gotta do is you gotta take like 45 Benadryl, and then it'll happen. I've never done that before, but it's called dipho tripping, and it's not safe. Don't do it. I I don't suggest taking any more Benadryl than the box suggests. Yes, please Benadryl um, responsibly. Please Benadryl responsibly. Not sponsored. Should be. Should be sponsored by Benadryl <laughs> generic uh, allergy medication, diphenhydramine. 25 yeah. milligram dose is the standard. That is what you should consume. So say it's the bottle. It'll make you sleepy enough. Yes. That so, it will. <laughs> let's move on. So an alternate ending was also shot where the police actually do show up instead of Rod. Uh, they arrest Chris for strangling Allison. Uh, the scene had a middling response in screen testings. Uh, Peel decided that after everything Chris went through, he deserved to have a happy ending. However, he wanted the flashing lights to make the audience think about what the ending would have been for Chris had Rod not showed up. Yeah, no, he succeeded with that. That is exactly what happened there. And uh, you know what? He's right. Uh, you know, if, if you are actively strangling somebody and the cops show up, um, that's not a good look. And especially because, you know, like, just, you know, no sugary way to say this. He is a uh, black man strangling a white woman in the middle of the road. Uh, the cops are going to murder him on sight immediately. Probably. And then what happens after that when they find out the dude just like blew his brains out right there in the middle of the road. And then they go back inside and the house is on fire. And then they're like, oh, well, that's interesting that they saw through this guy's skull because the bones aren't going to burn. It's the basement. Heat rises. Exactly. Hmm. 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 Well, we don't know what happened here, but we can only assume that this man murdered all of them. Hmm. Because uh, we because we acted before we thought. Wild. Wild. So, in another alt ending, uh, Rod breaks into the house, finds Chris, and calls out his name, but Chris says, I assure you, I don't know who you're talking about. Ah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I kind of glad they didn't do that, though. No, I think they did it the right way. I think that I think this was the only ending that made sense. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So that second alt ending I was talking about did not actually get filmed. It was just in an earlier draft. Mm. So now that we've talked about the production, let's talk about the release of this movie because it's just as interesting to me. So uh, while gearing up for the release, uh, Jordan Peele was worried about the audience. Uh, would white people not go see the movie because they didn't want to be villainized on screen? Would black people not want to sit and watch white people in the theater and watch black people being victimized on the screen? So it's like, you know, and I think it worked out for him that he did it the way he did it. And I think that's kind of like where you were talking about, like where you felt like some of the themes were heavy handed. I think it had to be done that way. Hmm. Okay. Because I think like, you know, to like keep everyone interested, I guess. The film was projected to make about 20 to 25 million in its opening weekend, and it made about 33 million. That's, so uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that, that beats expectations by a lot. By like and when we're talking like millions of dollars, that's a lot of dollars. Uh, the demographics were uh, th and this is weird. Like this movie had a lot of demographics that you can see. And I think it's because it was just such an interesting release that like they gathered all of this. But uh, the audiences on the opening weekend were 38 percent African-American in attendance and 35 percent white in attendance. Georgia was the biggest selling market for the film. It's funny because those demographics you just wrote, I, I think, are actually very close to what the demographics of the city of Atlanta are. 
I, you are absolutely correct. Um, 95% of the tickets uh, bought for the show were bought directly at the theater as opposed to in advance. Hmm, interesting. People stood in long lines to see this movie. I remember having to wait for the next showing because the ticket I bought in advance was oversold. Ah, so I bet, I bet me, you feel dumb right now. I do. So me, uh, my roommate at the time, and Lindsay, my fiance, we actually had to wait in line to see the next showing. Mm. So you waited through like the duration of the film then? No, I think it was like 45 minutes because they had it play because... By the, I think we went to go see it on, like, a Saturday. Oh, okay. Because, like, by Friday, we had, like, heard how good it was. And it was like, okay, well, let's go see this because I don't want to get spoiled. Uh, like, I don't want it to get spoiled for me because apparently there's a big twist and whatnot. Right. So we bought tickets to go see it because it's like, okay, it's selling out. We better buy tickets. And then once we got there, like I said, it was just oversold. So we had to wait for the next movie. Nice. It, it, it almost felt like what I... Like, remember when we went to go see Force Awakens and we kind of had to wait to get yeah. in the theater? It was like that, but the wait was longer. I uh, see. Let me guess. It was an AMC. Um, no, it was a Regal. Oh, nice. So they aren't just cramming people down a chute like a bunch of baby chicks in a slaughterhouse. Correct. I prefer Regal over anybody, hmm. to be honest. What and, about... Uh, of the um, chains. Plaza. I was going to say, what about Plaza? Oh, I'll always go to, like, a small theater if I can. I like those better. But as far as the chains go, I'm a Regal guy. Um, So after three weeks, the film had made $100 million, making Jordan Peele the first African-American writer-director to do so. Wow. In that amount of time, uh, Get Out is still the highest-grossing debut film from a director based on original screenplay. Uh, it beat out The Blair Witch Project. Whoa. And you know what? Highest-grossing debut film. The Blair Witch Project was made with, like, a Nokia 225 cell phone camera. Correct. And, uh, you know, they made a lot out of a little. So I, I they, they're keeping on with the spirit of making a lot out of a little in these orbs. Uh, the film was also nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Actor for Daniel Kaluuya. Um, Jordan Peele won for Best Original Screenplay, becoming the first African-American to do so, which Ooh. is crazy. Like, I'm not normally into, like, these, like, you know, first this person to do this, but, like, that is, like, appalling, almost. Interesting. <laughs> like, that he, like, in 2017, he would be the first African-American to win Best Original Screenplay, because I'm like, like, uh, Spike Lee was nominated for that award several times. You know, like, a lot of people were, and, like, the fact that it took that long for something like that to happen, it's just kind of astounding. So, uh, like, that's why I wanted to make sure I added that in here. Well, you know, I think uh, the movie is so good that, like, no matter how you feel about it, no one can really deny, I think, that, like, it was completely deserved, you know? like Oh, it, it, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was a really, really well-made film. It was a really well-written film, for sure. And that's always good to know, where it's like, you really just got it in the pocket, nobody can nobody can't say shit. Exactly. So, and speaking of which, he was also the third person in Academy Award history to be nominated for... Best Picture, Best Screenplay, and Best Director on a debut film. Uh, the other two being Warren Beatty and James L. Brooks. Uh, why does James L. Brooks sound so familiar? He is the co-creator of The Simpsons and The Office. Ah, that's why. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, I and I'm going to bring it home on this. Um, in 2021, the Writers Guild of America chose Get Out as the best screenplay of the 21st century thus far. 
Interesting. And then they do it like four years after the fact. So, I mean, uh, trying to think of stuff that came out between then and then. Uh, nothing's coming to mind. Um, uh, the I mean, Han Solo movie. <laughs> it's competing against the Han Solo movie. St- stiff competition. Big, big competition. Just, God, how, how did they beat out Solo? Right? <laughs> how did they beat out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? That movie's actually pretty well written as well. <laughs> not gonna lie, that that was not to disparage that movie. But anyway, that uh, I think that sums it up about Get Out. Like it's a very culturally relevant movie. Like I said, it's culturally relevant now. There is we still have time before we call this a classic. It could be completely cringe later. We I just don't know. Yeah, but I mean, I still think it's like one of the best written scripts like ever. Like, I would definitely be interested to read the script of this because I would I want to see like the liner notes. Yeah, no, that would be really interesting for this film. Yeah, I'll have to see if that's available. I don't know if it is. I think being as lauded as it is, it should it should be because I know like a twenty four does that a lot with their movies. Like they'll like have like a director's copy of the script, like with liner notes and whatnot. Is that something that they include with the films you buy, or is that something that you have to buy as its own standalone publication, or like how does that work? It's it's its own standalone publication. It's usually like in like a hardback uh, like style. Yeah, it's I'm sure A24 eventually is going to release all of their movies like all, like on their own, like their own like 4K Blu-rays and whatnot, because they're already starting to do it with a couple of movies. And I, I wouldn't doubt that at some point, like the Ultimate Collector's Edition will include those like, you know, annotated scripts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's not this movie, and we've talked to you guys for long enough. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. John, do you have anything else you want to say about Get Out? Uh, it's not like Troy, if you've seen Troy. Uh, you know what it is a little bit like, though? Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a weird way. Like, you know, like you go to the remote location, and there's all this stuff going on. I think, like, the, the big difference being that, like, for, for one, this is, like, a far more, like, advanced, like, it's, it's saying way more than I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, but, like, it's, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, like, what, what white people find to be scary about white people, and then, like, this movie is, like, what black people might find <laughs> to be scary about white people. <laughs> At the end of the day, we are all scared of white people. There are reasons. There, there are, are reasons. reasons. These white men cannot be trusted. <laughs> the only true line spoken in Pocahontas. Yeah, that's the only true line. I don't know. That raccoon was spitting some 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 mad truth. Some mad truth. Some mad truth. <laughs> Can't handle that. Can't handle that truth. <laughs> Jesus. Let's let's just end this before we get any further down the rabbit hole. Um, if you're looking for more content from us, uh, look for us on facebook and twitter i'm still working on getting the tiktok going um i'm trying to figure out how it works on my own personal tiktok so if you go find me at zach say relax which you can also do on twitter um i'm starting to make tiktoks to try and figure out how that algorithm works yeah uh something else uh that we kind of probably should announce here is that uh coming up here in the not too distant future uh we actually have some plans to uh, maybe a little bit of streaming uh, we're not exactly sure how we want to do it with streaming or maybe we want to do it with a podcast format or not, but there will be content available soon. Uh, we are partnering up with Tim from the Mother-in-Law Suite podcast again and uh, a couple of our uh, couple of our buddies, a couple of our compatriots to do a um, to do a Dungeon World role-playing game. 
which is something that I am completely foreign to, but John is very well versed in. So it's kind of the opposite of this podcast. Yeah, so uh, you can find us um, on Twitch. We'll post some information for it, I think, if that's what it ends up being uh, on, on Twitch or if it ends up being an episode or something uh, that we release that way. But um, yeah, I'll be your uh, I'll be your GM, be your game master, and um, everybody else will be along for the ride. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for all of you. John is the game master, just like Elon Musk is the video game master. Is he? That's what uh, Grimes said in um, <laughs> the song that she wrote about him after they broke up. She called him the video game master. Uh, reasons to be scared of white people. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So for Four Year Inflammation, I'm Zach Graham. And I'm John Cavill. Make sure you watch a new movie this week. Uh, it's probably, if you're listening to this, it's probably going to be Nope. I'm very excited about Nope. I have my tickets ready. I'm going to see it by... Beyonce is going to be very upset that we're going to IMAX because she thinks it's loud. Uh, she's <laughs> not wrong. But it was made for IMAX screens, so I'm seeing it that way. Anyway, damn, even the outro got prolonged. <laughs> this episode was off the rails. Thanks for listening. See you guys. See you guys.